Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. Hard me. Hurt me any, any time. Hurt me. Uh, no. <laughs> you, you can pod yourself, Kevin. <laughs> do you not want to pod me any day or night? No, I do not. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am wonderful. I am certainly better than uh, the prospect of two billionaires um, scrapping in a uh, cage for the entertainment <laughs> of nobody. Siri, show me the definition of vanity project. It's never going to happen. Of course it's not going to happen. It's like... Oh, I'm, de- I'm dead strong, me. Oh, well, prove it. Okay, we'll fight each other in the ring. Oh, we can't. Oh, sorry. It's not even that. It's like, hey, we're both from the same generation. Remember Celebrity Deathmatch? That was funny, wasn't it? Should we try and do that in real life? Yeah, let's do that. Really? Nah, I can't be asked. Well, and as we know, the Mr. Mosk um, is the least funny man in history. Uh, yes, I would agree. <laughs> Closely followed by Mr. Zuckerberg. Indeed. <laughs> well, his concept of the metaverse was hilarious. <laughs> Quite so. Bunch of pricks, fuck off. Yeah. Right, okay. okay. Kevin, tell the boys and girls what we're going through today. We will be going through American Six, Ain't No Grave by Johnny Cash, following obviously two weeks ago when we went through American Four. Indeed. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to today. It probably won't be as long today because there's a lot fewer tracks. Yeah, it's it's a much shorter album. (laughs) But yeah, we're looking forward to getting into it. Before we do, however, it is time for some Video Killed the Radio Star, and it's your pick, Kevin. Yes. So I. So. When I last had my pick of um, Video Kill the Radio Star, I was bemoaning the paucity of ambition shown by the director of uh, Piano Man by uh, Billy Joel. So I have gone completely the opposite, and I have found a visually arresting and stunning psychedelic video. You have indeed. So it is the video for The Lens by... A band that I have previously had on our uh, "Can't Get You Out of My Head," uh, the OCs, mm. and it's not, <laughs> frankly. I mean, it's Yellow Submarine, tastic. Oh yeah, <laughs> the song as well. It's it's proper psychedelic. Yeah, sixties psychedelia. It's, it's absolutely bonkers. It's visually, it's a visually surreal space trip. It's great. It is really good. It's a it's a really good song. I, I haven't really got anything else to say about no, it apart from it, like just watch a video. It's really good. Yeah, it's it is very psychedelic. So it's 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 animated. It is it is very Yellow Submarine. It is very psychedelic. The song's very psychedelic. Fits the video perfectly, and vice versa. It is the antipode to um, Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So a uh, uh, slight cul-de-sac. We never go down these. On a very, very tangentially related note, another band that I've previously talked about and um, are known for their psychedelic rock music, Goat, 
They recorded the soundtrack to the recent Shane Meadows series on the BBC, The Gallows Pole. Uh, have you seen The Gallows Pole and or heard the soundtrack? Um, I haven't, or either. I do want to watch Gallows Pole. Um, I was slightly disappointed that they didn't go with the Zeppelin song of the same yeah. name because I absolutely adore that song. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah, so, so it, the soundtrack's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is, I mean, I, I like Goat. Well, I like Goat as a band and also as a curry. Uh, very much so. Uh, yeah, I agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and less so as an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> the series itself, I don't know. Well, it's the Coin Cutters, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Coin Cutters by Shane Meadows. I don't know. It's good. I'm not sure it works. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, I, I, I get it. Like, sometimes... You'll enjoy it because it's Shane Meadows. Yeah, the like the acting performances will be really good. Um, yeah, it, and it, and it is good to see a take on Industrial Revolution era England that is not romanticised in the way that things often are. And also, I, I mean, as a, I've not seen it, but um, knowing Shane Meadows is that I'm guessing it will have people with regional accents because whenever I've seen any kind of uh, particularly industrial revolution thing, then basically everyone talks like Sean Bean, who is working class, and everyone <laughs> talks like um, Elizabeth Haley um, if they're um, a top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in, you're right, and I mean this is set this is set in Yorkshire, so everyone does talk like Sean Bean. Actually, <laughs> regional accents, unknowns, people from the area. It has significant charm. It's Shane Meadows. I still have to make my mind up what I think about the series. Well worth a watch. Fair enough. Uh, Cul-de-sac reversed back out of. Uh, Yes, go and watch the OC's video. Uh, We'll put the link out. It's very psychedelic. It's a good tune as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, It's also your pick for album of the podcast. It is. And... um... So I am going for not a new album, but a new album that I have, well, an album that I have come across. So it's two years old. Okay. Um, so it's a two-piece from Naples called The Devils, consists of Gianni Biacula and Erica Switchblade, who is on the drums and vocals. Their th- and it's their third album, Beast Must Regret Nothing. Produced by Alan Johannes, who's got pretty a pretty good um, back catalogue on him, producing Queens of the Stone Age, Them Crooked Vultures, Chris Cornell, and PJ Harvey. Wow, fair play. And the album uh, features uh, Mark Lanigan. Ooh, okay. It's a dirty two-piece. Nice. Guitar, drums, mm. what more do you want? Okay, so the devils, the beast must regret nothing. Yes, it is absolutely brilliant. It is very much in my wheelhouse, but I think that you would really enjoy it. Sold. It's dirty, low down. Lovely stuff. I'll, have a, I'll take a look at that, definitely. Okay, so as we always do, we'll uh, tweet the link out to that album. One day, Kev might get to figure out how we can compile those into some sort of list that people might be able to access, but um, no rush, no rush me. Yeah, it's still not still not done. We'll, we'll do it eventually. Very good. Okay, Johnny Cash, American Six, Ain't No Grave. Over to you. Okay, so the six of the American recordings. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, let me just get it. Posthumous. Yep, yeah, maths checks out. 
released posthumously on 23rd of February 2010. It was released three days before what would have been Johnny Cash's 78th birthday. And really, there isn't a huge amount of background that we haven't already covered here. So the recording sessions for this and American 5, 100 Highways, uh, which was released in 2006, took place during the final months of Johnny Cash's life. So between May and August 2003. This is going to become very relevant as we go through the songs. June Carter Cash died during routine surgery during these sessions. And Johnny, although absolutely grief-stricken and and also with the full knowledge that he was dying too, uh, due to complications from Parkinson's, um, worked as often um, as he could do, as his health would allow during this period. And obviously, you know, as Tim said last and uh, two weeks ago, that there were sixty odd songs produced during this period. So, if I'm if I'm right, he couldn't. He was wheelchair bound by this time as well. Yeah, yeah, and he he died three months after these songs were recorded. Ain't No Grave is a it's a deeply spiritual album, essentially a formal goodbye from Johnny Cash. And as we go through the the songs of this album, it shows a man without regrets, um, but wanting to have his final say. And I think the way that Rick Rubin and John Carter Cash decided and kind of put together this album was very clever and the right way to kind of honor those those last recordings when he was dying we don't often talk about well we are okay we always do talk about what we think about the album (laughs) before we start talking to the songs uh it's an epitaph that's what this album is and it's a really well constructed epitaph it really is um there's a theme running through it I think you're going to work out pretty quick. <laughs> um, I'm not getting it, Kev. I'm not getting it. You're going to you're gonna have to explain to me. <laughs> so the theme is actually Care Bears? <laughs> no, I thought it was Gummy Bears. <laughs> Bouncing here and there and everywhere. <laughs> right. Can we just talk about whose decision was it to make a cartoon about sweets. <laughs> Anyone? The same people who decided to make a cartoon about shoes. <laughs> and peas. <laughs> hey, that that was a belting theme tune. It was a great theme tune, the Pollington Peas. Yep, definitely. I might stick that on the playlist in a few minutes. <laughs> It'll go. It'll go really well with the devils. <laughs> uh, yes, there is an obvious theme running through. Uh, yes, strapping guys. There might not be an awful lot of levity in this show. Well, we've said that before, and then they've usually been the sillier episodes. So. <laughs> I mean, if we can uh, start talking about fanny canoes during this show, then we've done well. Challenge? <laughs> no. Uh, no, indeed. Okay, so that's pretty much for background. Okay. When did you first become aware of the album, then, Tim? So when it came out, obviously, and uh, from the time where we sort of both almost separately discovered Johnny Cash's oeuvre, um, as we talked about on our previous 
on our previous show. We sort of then discovered more and more things together. And I remember you and I having a conversation about this when it came out and we'd both come across it on the internet. So yeah, when it came out, I listened to it because I was banging to this series of recordings and Johnny Cash by that time. How about you? Well, I know the answer to that because um, I just said yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, by this point, I believe I, I did not encounter it via LimeWire. <laughs> I believe it may have been um, through another means. <laughs> uh, we, we must have been torrenting by this point. Oh, sorry, no, uh, no, we would never have done that. No, I was obviously paying for every album. Home taping is killing music. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, by the way, I've I've seen you can get that on a t-shirt. So uh, guess what? I've just ordered. <laughs> Stop stealing our music. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it always so, will be funny. It, it definitely, it always will be funny. That's very true. Uh, yeah, so Kev and I basically discovered, or sort of discovered this together because it was when it came out. So there you go. Okay, so we move on to the cover, mm. which is a, again, a, it's a very simple cover, a picture of a young Johnny Cash um, as a child. Beautiful. In a non-weird way. Beautiful. Yeah. And obviously has the, that... It's got the same font. That font, which mm-hmm. is very effective. Just, like It's just aerial, I'm sure it is, I'm, honestly. <laughs> But nobody else uses that. I mean, I use it when I'm writing documents all the time, Kev. <laughs> Listen, it's about time we bought Font Clash back. <laughs> in terms, in terms of, I'm sorry, like every, particularly for the American recordings, it just says cash. It's great. Like yeah. you don't, you don't need anything else on there because you know whose album it is. Absolutely right. And also, it's a good font. It is a good font. Yeah, the cover is. It is. I can't think of a better word to describe it than than beautiful. Because exactly what we just said, this album is an epitaph. It's you know so long and thanks for all the fish. Here is your dearly departed when he was a young. I mean, he looks like a proper scout. <laughs> oh yeah, he looks trouble. <laughs> but you know what I mean. A young boy, full of vim and vigor. Mm-hmm. It's it's a. Beautiful cover, it is. Okay, so out of the two, which is the better? I think that I, much as I've just said the word beautiful about this repeatedly, I think American Four is the better cover. Absolutely, I think this is a really good cover, and obviously, you know, this is kind of like you know um, when you go to a funeral and the yeah. order of service usually has a picture of someone when they be younger. That that's what this is like. Usually the deceased. (laughs) Did I not say the picture of the person when they were younger? You said a picture of someone when they were younger. That was the actual words you used. (laughs) Second death stare in two shows. Get in. (laughs) New thing I'm introducing to the pod, guys. New feature. At what point in the pod can I annoy Kevin? Uh, usually about ten minutes in. <laughs> well, yeah. If you if you get a third one in, you get a steak knife. Not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the one we went through the week is a better cover. But as I said, it, it because it's yeah. got all that 
atmosphere to it with the with the with the blackness. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, how much more black could it be? Well, some more black because there is whiteness. Because, because we've already done back in black. <laughs> okay. okay. So should we get into it then? I think we should. So we start with the title track, "Ain't No Grave." It's all right. This it is not bad, is it? It's proper moody. Yeah, moody is right. In the same way as God's Gonna Cut You Down, which is on number five, I think. Yeah, it's American Five. Yeah. It has that really sinister, defiant tone to it. it it's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, so obviously you know this, but we ha- I don't think we've mentioned this before. The. Um, I think it still exists on the internet, the Johnny Cash Project, which is a sort of crowdsourced video to this song where people, you know, did their own ver- their own artwork for each for a, each scene yeah. in uh, Cell, like kind of. Yeah, this... yeah, it was like a crowdsourced animated video. It's it, yeah, it was yeah, incredible. It's... It's it's a stunning piece of work. Tell and you what we'll do: we'll try. If it is still on YouTube, we'll we'll get the link and we'll tweet it out when we go through the show. Yeah, and you know this this is a beautiful, haunting, moody, epic opening to the album. Yeah, chills, absolute chill. Like hundred percent. And you know, like the there's like a sound of like chains as the yeah. and brings to mind like sort of Jacob Marley. Oh, thank you. I've written that. It is. It is Jacob Marley. It, the cha- the chains, the rhythm, the. It is. It is the. Yeah. It is the the creeping sound of death. Death. Death is stalking you. Yeah, but I don't give a fuck. It's so. It's, it's in a. It's not like Sam Hall, which is just an, an an uplifting. Fuck off! I don't give a shit. This is. You know, I am vengeance. I am the night. I'm Batman, <laughs> but it, it it this is that I ain't fucking going anywhere, mate. I'm... Yeah, death death may be coming for me, but I ain't going quietly. Yeah, absolutely. I will not go quietly into that dark night. <laughs> into that good night, no, indeed. Yeah. We will not vanish without a fight. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. <laughs> Genuinely, Bill Pullman, best political speech of all time, should be genuinely the actual president. <laughs> So I mean I disagree that clearly Jack Nicholson in Mars Attacks is the better <laughs> Controversial hot take. Mars Attacks is actually quite shit. It's got some funny moments mm. in it though. It does. It's a Tim Burton film, so visually it's going to be it's gonna be good to look at. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, we're not talking about Tim Burton films, we're talking about Ain't No Grave. Um I until was I was researching this clash, I did not realise this was a cover because it's got all the no, hallmarks of a Johnny Cash song. Yeah, you you naturally assume that. Oh well, this must be this must be a, a Johnny a Johnny Cash song. Um, but no, it came from a songwriter and preacher from the mm. South and composed the song while sick with TB when he was twelve years old. Fucking hell! I mean. Wow, <laughs> I, I I don't know what else to say than like, wow. What what must a twelve year old have been going through to write this? Yeah, I mean I've never had TB, but I'm 
I can't imagine it's a battle of laughs and no. so that that very much comes through. Evidently not. Um it has also been um covered by a an artist that we've not really discussed on the pod and really I'm not sure how we're ever gonna get her get her in here, but Sister Rosetta Tharp, who is basically like one of the most important artists mm. ever. Yeah. Basically kind of invented well, not necessarily blues, but rock and roll. Like Sister Rosetta Tharp is a yeah. We we'll have to talk about her more at some point. Well, Sister Rosetta versus Robert Johnson. There you go. Just done it. There's a clash with the future. No, sis. Okay. Sister Rosetta versus Robert Johnson. There we go. Boss, you, you you heard it here first, folks. Future clash. Okay. So we move on to a cover of a Cheryl Crow song, Redemption Day. We do, and it's. Fucking brilliant. What a beautiful Blooring. beautiful song this is. Just the the vulnerability and tenderness to his voice, but it's allied with a a kind of low level strength as well. It's 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 a stunning it's a stunning vocal performance. And from a man who's dying, like that's that's the thing that just absolutely blows my mind about this is that you can produce something of such deafness when you when you're so ill yeah deafness is a great word actually i love the delicate i don't know if there's a key there's, there's a synth keyboard part which sounds almost like a xylophone mm-hmm. throughout this it's beautiful it's beautiful uh, I, I think we should do Cheryl Crow at some point on Arm Clash. I, 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 I quite like a lot of Cheryl Crow stuff. Maybe you should do it against Alanis Morissette. No. <laughs> no, I think I think that would be an interesting. It would be an interesting clash, particularly Jagged Little Pill versus oh God, what was the album that broke Cheryl Crow. But anyway, anyway, no, actually, we, that, yeah, that that would be interesting to do. We could have a, that discussion at another point on air, Admin. Love it. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's, you know, and it's another one where you look at it and go, Cheryl Crow? Cheryl Crow? Because it sounds like a Johnny Cash song. It's called Redemption Day. It is about, well, it is about exactly that. You know, someday someone will come and absolve you of all your sins. There is a train going straight to heaven. I I adore that lyric. I mean, that's, that's well Catholic. Well, it's, 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 it's there's someone someone coming right at the end. All right, come on, box it off for us. <laughs> as long as I, as long as I say me hail Marys, I'll be sound. <laughs> Repent on my <me> deathbed. <laughs> um, it's gorgeous. This it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. Okay, let's move on for the good times. Another cover. It's a Chris Christopherson song. It is Whistler from Blade. I've I've made that joke before, but I'll always oh, no. make it. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. This it, it is when so when you know when the album was recorded and what he was going through, it is absolutely heartbreaking. Because that first lyric, you know, you know, I don't, I, I don't worry, I know it's over, kind of thing. You know what that means and everything that comes with it. The song itself is a country standard, so. And I and I, I don't mean it in a in a, in a in a way to detract from the performance. The song isn't particularly remarkable. 
Johnny Cash's performance elevates it to something. And Chris Christopherson didn't write it as an ode to a, a past deceased loved one. So it's, it's that's what recounting, it is. It's recounting the end of a love affair mm. based on a real life experience of Chris Christopherson. Oh, okay. But because of because of obviously what you know when the point that you hear this song and given as well the the vulnerability in Johnny Cash's voice is that it gives it a an additional level that again this is a dying man reminiscing about the good times yeah. about when things were right when yeah. things were good yeah absolutely yeah so the song takes on a greater sense of portents because of how it's performed and when it was recorded yeah okay okay so we then move on to corinthians 15 55 1 corinthians 15 1 corinthians 15 55 1854 <laughs> <laughs> uh this is written by johnny cash it is written by johnny cash it's bible tastic it is it's a really simple real really heartbreaking piece of music though i love it it's yeah it's beautiful it's gorgeous yeah it it is gorgeous so and right from the opening lyric oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory oh life you are a shining path hope springs eternal just over the rise when i see my redeemer beckoning me (laughs) not bad lyrics though so again, we said this the other week. This is how you can have... Because obviously this has strong Christian overtones. Mm-hmm. In the... As I said, it's Bible-tastic. It is Bible-tastic. You can have so much beauty, so much reverence, so much depth in religious music. It doesn't need to be twee. It doesn't need to be twee. It doesn't need to be preachy. Or if it is preachy... It can have an edge to it. It can have depth. I've said depth already. You know what I mean? It's it's no. Well, like the, it doesn't have to be happy clappy because you know I've made enough allusions to Catholicism and everything like that during um, our recordings. Like your old your old school God, like of the Old Testament, the Yahweh. He was a vengeful, nasty. He ain't bastard. taking, yeah, he ain't taking no, no uh, messing. No, yeah. Um, and so you can have that edge because it's, it's all there in the text. Agreed. Um, what I would say though is that uh, happy clappy, as we discovered when we went through Amazing Grace, can be boss as well. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> Although note for American evangelicals and uh, televangelists. Read some of the things that uh, your man that you're supposed to be following actually said, you know, about money lending and all that kind of thing. <laughs> just just uh, try, and take, try and take that on board. You're supposed to be following what he says, so, you know. We believe the Bible to be literal truth. No, not those bits! <laughs> know what he actually meant. Quite. Anyway. Okay, well, I can't help but wonder where I'm bound after that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well done. I like that. I mean, again, like, as with particularly some of the songs that we're going to come on to, that just the title of this, given 
that it's a posthumous release, mm-hmm. given the, what you know and everything like that, it gives it a portent that mm-hmm. before the before you even listen to the song, it, it does absolutely, and the performance adds to that. I mean, it it sounds like someone genuinely wondering about where where am I going to go? Am I going am upstairs? I going up am I going down? in the middle? Am I going <laughs> am down? I going downstairs. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Where's the lift taking me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This. So I, I said when we were going through American Four the other week that it's the sound of a man who's come to terms with his own mortality as is this but it's also the man who's dealing with grief for the the, the person that defined him in so many ways mm-hmm. that was you know taken from him and so as well as coming to terms with the fact that he himself is dying he's starting to yeah, think about his place in the universe, if almost, if you like, and and a kind of kind of review. Yeah, yeah. What what he's done, and essentially where the scales end up for him. Indeed, beautifully put, as ever. I mean, it's it, it's just it's just a beautiful piece of music. It is. I, I think things kick up a notch on the second half of the album. It is a beef for piece of music. I think where we're about to go takes things up a level. Okay. And I'm looking forward to the next five. Well, I've got a satisfied mind. Oh, wow. I mean, everything we just said, beautiful, poignant, portents, reflective, regretful. This is just gorgeous. I... So I'll get I'll because a lot of these songs, um, well, they're all covers on the on this half of the album. So it's a song written by Joe Red Hayes and Jack Rhodes. Um, so Hayes explained the origin of the song in an interview. The song came from my mother. Everything in the song are things I heard her say over the years. Put a lot of thought into that song before I came up with the title. One day, my father-in-law asked me who I thought the richest man in the world was, and I mentioned some names. He said, "You're wrong." is the man with a satisfied mind. It's been covered by Ella Fitzgerald. It's been covered by Dylan. It's been covered by The Birds, by Joan Byers, by Glen Campbell. Yeah, there's loads of people have done a version of this. Willie Nelson, unsurprisingly, Robert Plant, at one point. Loads of people have done this. What do you think? I adore it. I think the lyrics are magnificent once I was waiting in fortune fame everything I dreamed of to get a start in life's game but suddenly it happened I lost every dime but I'm richer by far with a satisfied mind oh it's a really simple ballad but it's wonderfully performed it is wonderfully performed and when you know about Johnny Cash's life although it he didn't lose every time, you know what I mean? When you know about the mm-hmm. journey he went on with addiction and a lot of personal problems, although it's a cover, it has an autobiographical air to it, which absolutely, I just but, I'd love it. This is this is a man who was stared into addiction and recovered. Yeah, twice. Yeah, and at this point, 
at the point of potentially meeting his maker, he's satisfied he has balanced the ledger. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm I'm good I'm good to go. I've done done what I need to do now. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's beautiful. Love it. Okay, so we move on from that to I don't hurt anymore. Jesus. <laughs> and again, when you know when he recorded this and what it actually means in that context, it's just, oh, we've said heartbreaking. It's, it is emotional and then some. So yeah, it's another one where the song itself, you think, it's about the end of a relationship. It's about, yeah, you left me. And at the time, I was absolutely desolate. But you know what? I'm all right, fuckers. But this, he's not singing it as that. He's singing it like, I know you're gone, but you said to me to live on. You said keep on recording. I'm here. I'm still going. This is for you. <laughs> Just, I can't. I, yeah. Tears welling up saying those words almost yeah I, I've, I've got nothing more to add to that i think you've you've summed that up beautifully it, um it, it's it's a it's a again it's another it's a standard country song elevated to immense depth by this performance this production on this album it's wonderful yeah and i think i, I think at this point because i think we do need to um to speak about again the production, Rick Rubin, because in the wrong hands this could be um, cheap. It could be tawdry. It could be exploitative. It could be it, you could debase debase it quite easily. So let's go back to the start of this project. This, but which was what ninety four was when the first album mm-hmm. came out. So ninety two, I think, was when they first met. And Johnny Cash's nervousness and scepticism, one might say, about the whole thing. Because yeah, it could have been. Yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stick you in a studio with Slayer to do a metal song, uh, but you singing over the top of it. I'm going to have the Beastie Boys come in and do some hip hop beats and raps mm-hmm. with you in the foreground. It, it could have been yeah, cheap and tawdry. It could have debased what Johnny Cash had been. But no, I'll go back to what I said the other week. Rick Rubin approached this with the mentality and the mindset that this guy's still got something to say. He's still got a voice and we need to hear it. He got his son involved in the production and said, you need to be involved in allowing your dad to make his peace with what he's done, to tell the world how he's feeling. And it's just magnificent so there's a there's a reverence to the production absolutely that highlights the the beauty of johnny cash's voice without without making it you know just a cheap like a cheap trick mm-hmm. like just going how some of the some of the posthumous releases from other artists which are which feel absolutely just you're just trying to cash in like basically you've found something in the vaults and you're just lashing it lashing it out there for for everyone that this doesn't feel like that this feels like there's been care and craft and thought and real blood sweat and tears gone into it in order to make and love yeah to make it 
the best it can be. And yeah. that's what comes across. Couldn't agree more. Cool water. Okay, so it is not a song about um, the Davidoff aftershave. <laughs> or that um, shit Coca-Cola branded mineral water that was released, which turned out just to be tap water. <laughs> was it Dasani? Something, or... something like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's in, like, as soon as I saw the title, Cool Water, like, <laughs> Davidoff. I like that a lot. Cool water. <laughs> <laughs> You've missed your calling, Kev. I know. I should have, I should have done uh, voiceovers for, um, for uh, not very good aftershaves. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, everything we just said about I don't hurt anymore. <laughs> Jesus, um, yeah. Oh, for fuck. Aye. So, a simple song about a, a tired man and his donkey. Oh, God. I, I, I love it. Sorry, words fail me, guys. At this point, uh, I am I am out of platitudes. I, I'm done. So it it is not it is not about Don, Qu- Don Quixote. <laughs> no, <laughs> and his donkey. <laughs> but it is written about a man and his mule, a tired mule. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, no, like so. All stupidity aside, it's a very simple ballad, but. Again, the production is so pitch perfect that it highlights the beautiful depth and timbre that his aged voice still has. Yeah. Like, even at this point, he sounds magnificent. He does. It's like, all right, this this is going to sound very possibly Crisco-esque, but it's like the rocks talking. (laughs) Not, right. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna do. <laughs> Can you smell it? Can you smell what he's <laughs> gonna... Oh, you got there before me. I was laughing. <laughs> so, if you were walking along sort of Monument Valley, as though the you know the the ancient rocks were yes, could I'm... could talk to could tell you their tale, you weren't saying this is the Great One's water. <laughs> I uh, wasn't even going into since my baby left me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, when Johnny Cash, in that really quiet, subtle, soft voice, sings cool, clear water. I need a drink. I need a drink. I'm I'm gasping. I can I can visualize mm-hmm. the the perilous journey that they are going yeah. through. The perspiration, as you say, and the and the and the need for refreshment, the need to slake their thirst. I love that word. Need to use it more, slake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have spoken particularly about Johnny Cash, but about other vocalists as well, about how people are able to evoke images with their voice. I mean, none better than Mr. Cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so the song itself um, was chosen as number three by the Western Writers of America within the top 100 Western songs of all time. Okay, there you go. How does it compare with I Was Born Under a Wandering Star, sung by Lee Marvin from the film Paint Your Wagon? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Paint Your Wagon is an absolute... <laughs> it's fucking nuts, that film. I mean, The Simpsons nailed it. It's like Lee Marvin, Clint Eastwood. 
<laughs> musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's no MacArthur Park. <laughs> hey, Troy McClure, it's MacArthur Parker, your agent. <laughs> okay, last night I had the strangest dream. Really? What happened? Um, well, Johnny Cash incorporated it into his live set. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have spoken several times through the course of this and our previous episode about how a lot of his songs could sound twee in the wrong hands. And a song in which a dying man has a dream in which the whole world declared unified peace. And it was a wonderful world to be in could very easily sound twee and saccharine. Fortunately, we are not in the wrong hands. We are in the hands of Rick Rubin, John Carter Cash, and Johnny Cash. And so what you have here is an absolutely glorious ode to a utopia that is unattainable. And it's... So there's there's quite the debate about the song because there's some debate about what Johnny Cash's position on Vietnam was. Okay. And so this is this is very much an anti-war song. Really? John... <laughs> <laughs> and you know jo- Johnny Cash like all right he didn't he did serve in the military mm-hmm. um whilst he didn't necessarily see combat as as such he was, in, he was stationed um, in germany wasn't he yeah yeah he was stationed in the in, air force i'm gonna say air force like but yeah th- so nobody's quite sure whether what johnny cash felt about vietnam and whether this song speaks to his opposition to war like but you know it's just a, it's just a really beautiful epic tragic song that is musically so dense and is perfectly put together Uh, absolutely so as i said an attainable utopia i'll come on to that bit in a minute to your point even if johnny cash was pro-vietnam in the late 60s and through to 19 whenever what was it 1970 anyway whenever any johnny cash was pro-vietnam by 2003 he may well have changed his mind guys People can change. People can grow. People can learn. And you know, he might not be. He may well have been pro that war. He might have been against other ones. Well, so there you. are many, many a war. Well, what significant conflict kicked off in spring two thousand and three? Hmm. Can't think exactly. So this may well have had a political commentary of the time to it as well. So yeah, I I I I don't really care. I have to say no. whether Johnny Cash was pro or or anti-Vietnam at the time. This song has a very clear message. The way it is sung is absolutely heartbreaking, and it is gorgeous. I have nothing more to say about it. Okay, so we have raced through this, and we come to the final song, Aloha. Away, I think it's just O. Um, farewell to thee. It's a uh, Hawaiian folk song written roughly around 1878 by 
Liliwul Kalani, who was then the Princess of the Hawaiian Kingdom. Okay. It is her most famous song and is commonly known as a cultural symbol of Hawaii. I mean, it is. If you think of Hawaii, you think of... the. Even if you don't know this song lyrically, you know the tune. You know the, the, the lazy, lackadaisical slide guitar, which just puts you in mind of palm-drenched beaches, floral necklaces, grass skirts... I sorry guys, I'm full of cultural stereotypes today. I do apologise. Um and do, no, but do you know why you know it? Did Elvis perform it? So Elvis did do a cover a recording of it for yeah. the f- soundtrack to the film Blue Hawaii. Yeah. However, I don't believe that's how you know it. Oh, okay. I suspect that very much like myself, Aloha O appeared in scores of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies cartoons. <laughs> Brilliant! As composed as a stock musical cue for Hawaii-themed gags. <laughs> that is brilliant, and it does. Like just as soon as as soon as I read that, it's like, oh yeah! Like, and song is also played in the eighth episode of the eighth season of The Simpsons, yes. Hurricane Neddy. When Ned Flanders drives away to the yeah. side. It's a song where Flanders checks himself into... He's singing it when he checks himself into the insane asylum. After yeah. he's gone mad at everyone, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, would you like to uh, come in peacefully, or would you like uh, drags in kicking and screaming? Oh, kicking and screaming, please. <laughs> <laughs> no! Uh, I do hope my moving away from the mic in my wheelie chair had it, did, it did. Effect. It did work. Brilliant! <laughs> Um, again so we ended American 4 with a Hawaiian infused version of We'll Meet Again here we just have a straight up Hawaiian folk song and I absolutely love it it's wonderful well basically you're getting a lullaby from Johnny Cash um, to lead you off in into the ether. well, it's it's exactly it it is it soothes you into that long good night. You have gone quietly into that long good night, and this is what is taking you there. And I'm Daffy ready. Duck is not, is, <laughs> is not girl bugs bunny. <laughs> so my, I think my favourite bit, like of Looney Tunes cartoons. Was was particularly when there was an explosion, and like it would just leave Daffy Duck's um, bill, and he'd be talking, and like his head would be on like the other side. Yes. <laughs> also, Roadrunner cartoons were properly funny. Yeah, they they were really funny. Well, frankly, just Looney Tunes cartoons were really funny. So, like your big rooster fella. Like uh, I was never I was Foghorn Leghorn was irritating. No, he, like I, I mean, I, Bugs Bunny was funny. Yes, and was genuinely funny. Yes, Marvin the Martian was genuinely funny. Brilliant. I'm um, so annoyed. <laughs> no, that's me. Uh, that's me, Thingy Stewart. I was going to say, why is it that you go to Jimmy Stewart when you do any impression? <laughs> <laughs> also, can we? Whilst we're talking about Warner Brothers animation, Animaniacs, like... Oh, it was brilliant. It was fucking... Am- I mean, 
like they must have been on a lot of E whilst they were making it and, and all sorts of other things. I loved Animaniacs. It was so good. Well, it was so good that it had a spin-off, which was Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which also was Pinky, like, was his accent based on, like, a beetle? <laughs> well, I actually... If you watch Pinky and the Brain alongside Ren and Stimpy, the Brain and Ren have the same voice. They, they, they have the same voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway... Uh, aloha so, oh it's lovely it's lovely it's gorgeous it's it as we said it's a lilting lullaby to send you off into that good night indeed it is and 32 minutes 21 seconds i mean that's not how long this podcast has been we've i reckon we're at least 45 minutes by now guys <laughs> um but that is the end of the album mm, it is indeed the end of the album so would you like some reviews uh i would yes please Okay, generally positive. So Pete Perfides uh, wrote that um, Theo's lad. <laughs> that Cash's most soulful performances on American Six are invested in Nashville standards. The Washington Post, Bill Friskis Warren wrote that the album presents Cash as an unwavering man of faith and noted a spiritual, even biblical quality to the record. Andrew Perry of the Daily Telegraph dubbed it Cash's final life-affirming masterpiece. In a mixed review, Slant Magazine's Jess Cataldo wrote that the angle imposed here is a double-edged sword, granting a too strict formula for these songs to occupy, but also great, granting a greater measure of artistic freedom. Don't understand that. No. However, we do know that um, somebody who we always refer to. Well, when we can. When we can. Did review this album. He so, did. And he gave it an A. For MSN Music. Yeah, indeed. Not for The Village Voice. Robert Criscar by this time, was not working for The Village Voice. Uh, he did give it an A, however. So he rated it higher than he rated American 4, which I went through the other week. And he said... One of those nearness of death albums. Well, yes, Nobby. A category that for me includes not only Warren Zevon's The Wind and John Hurt's Last Sessions, but oh, is that, that John Hurt? <laughs> I assume not, because it's Mississippi John Hurt. <laughs> okay, fine. But also Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind and Neil Young's Prairie Wind. Definitely. I mean, both, both not dead. <laughs> A very good point, yes. <laughs> And also, like, is it like John Hurt um, at the point when the thing's exploding out of his chest? <laughs> uh, no, it's the point at which he's realised he loves Big Brother. <laughs> uh, definitely both the grimmest and the most hopeful, which taken together means maybe the best. The big difference is that it's more direct than any of them. Key to Cash's rewrite of 1 Corinthians 15.55. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Damn, he chose the same lyrics I liked. Fortified by Christian faith, he lends a cracked gravity to souvenirs of cornball sentiment, ranging in tone from Ed McCurdy's political Last Night I Had the Stranger's Dream to Queen Liliu Kolani's escapist Aloha O. Oh. Which close an album that also includes the traditional title song, a Cheryl Crow number about redemption, 
cool water and the tenderest for the good times I've ever heard. Never mind sex under the stars. John will settle for a sick bed cuddle. What the fuck? As Queen Lily Urkani put it, it'll be solace until we meet again. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, Robert. Um, did a dying man not like saying he wanted a final jump? Did that not do it for you? Apparently not. Although he, I say he gave it an A, so that's not be reviewing an album he really likes. Still insufferably <laughs> annoying, but a an absolute staple of the pod. Absolutely. Um, okay. So there's there's not really much point doing any kind of legacy that obviously this is this is posthumous um the album sold well and there are apparently um three or four albums worth of american material well as, uh, as that... we said he recorded 60 songs in that in that four month period mm-hmm. 60 songs there's 10 of them there was another 10 on american five so where's the other 40 i don't a, i'm not demanding them be released guys i'm not that guy but do you know what i mean it's, it's these could be released at any time or not. And do you know what? I would prefer not. I think this is the right ending. Yep. If, if you know, like, obviously, new cash material emerges, I will obviously listen to it and go and pass my opinion on it. But I think, much like Toy Story 3, end it here. <laughs> yeah, uh... And if American Seven is anywhere near as bad as Toy Story Four, then it's not that bad. It is, Kev. It is. It, no, it's it, not. No, it it's is. Not. It is. I hate it. It's because it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. It's forced. It it is. It is unnecessary. In and it's forced. The, you had perfectly wrapped the story up. It doesn't need any more. It's a bad film. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. So it's like the Prince thing. I mean. I can't think of two more different artists, by the way. Although, I'd love to think they'd have got on swimmingly together. I, I think they'd properly be banging to each other. Yeah, definitely. Just just because like a lot of their shtick was being anti-establishment, and they just both loved music and were so yeah. Com- anyway, and, and I'm pretty sure Johnny Cash would have appreciated the virtuosity of mm. Prince on a guitar. Definitely. And they both uh, would have appreciated each other's lyricism. Anyway, enough of fantasy bands. The point I was trying to make was, we keep hearing there are apparently hundreds, if not a more than a thousand, which I doubt, but hundreds of Prince songs, which are yet to see the light of day. There's a reason he didn't release them. Exactly. Let them not see the light of day. Let us not forget Free as a Bird. There's a reason that, that never properly emerged as a fully formed song because it wasn't. And as you've just said, we're about to hear another, well, I say just, it might have been on the previous part, I can't remember. (laughs) We're about to hear another Beatles song from those same John Lennon demo tapes, which Paul is using AI to... Which... I'm fine. I'm not... Kev, I'm going to listen to it, and so will you. I'll listen to it, but... Like, I don't need to hear it, but I'm gonna to listen to it anyway. Half the half the band aren't here. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, we have we have digressed as we are... no, we we haven't digressed. So, the point is, we were saying. Let's get back to the point we were saying. Just leave leave the recordings there. Leave them be. 
absolutely much, right. You know, I I can use another film analogy. Last Crusade was perfectly perfectly fine way. I mean, you called it the Last Crusade, so you know you could have ended it there. Mm-hmm. Well, but no, you had to stick him in a fridge when a when a bomb went off. Oh, and by the time this pod is launched, Kevin, we will people will be two weeks into having been able to see what happens next for Indy. And I'm not gonna watch. No, well, well I, I mean, I am. I'm, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go to the cinema no, to watch exactly. it, but I will watch it at some point. Exactly. Yeah, we are um, weak humans. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that character. Stop, stop messing with him. Quite. Anyway, we have digressed very much. Top men. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. Uh, so, Tim, what's your best song? What's your worst song? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because I, this album tells a story, as you said. And so without trying to give away how I'm going to review it, Okay, I'm just going to have to go purely on on my enjoyment of each song as an individual piece of music. So my weakest will be for the good times, and it's it's nothing to do with the performance where it is in the album. It's just it's a country standard, and it is given much greater pathos on this album. But the song itself, I, I can't say I love it. So. On process of elimination, I've got to pick one for the good times. Is my weakest track. Uh, best track. Oh god, I guess I could pick anything on side two as the best track because I love all of them. They're all so beautiful and so hard to listen to. Uh, but I ain't gonna pick any of them. I'm gonna pick "Ain't No Grave" because it's great. <laughs> How about you? Okay. So, funnily enough, we are going to, uh, for once, have a ditto. Uh, okay. A double ditto. A double ditto. Yeah. For the good times, I love, but I'm really, like, it's really hard to pick a bad song on on this album. But the best song, without question, on it is the opener. The, it sets the tone of, of the entire album, and devastate you from from the beginning and you never recover from that point. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay. Um right. So as is traditional, I am the bread. You are the filling. Yep, that's right. Your choice. So you go first on American Four. You go last on American Six. Off you go. Right, this is this is so hard to score. So the man comes around. My God. I mean, like as an opening salvo, you've got man comes around. Brilliant. Hurt. Oh my God. (laughs) Give my love to Rose, which we've already praised previously on the pod. And this is a beautiful version. Bridge over troubled water. I hung my head. First time I ever saw your face personal. You know, there's, there's not really a huge amount of weakness in this album it's incredibly strong and do you know what the only thing i can really possibly throw at it is that it could easily lose a couple of songs just for length 
um, for the length of listening to the album. And that, that seems really spurious. And maybe that's... And I don't really think that, to be honest. Like, I'm okay with a long album. I'm just trying to find something I can criticise it for. <laughs> just <laughs> say you want to score the other one higher. <laughs> um, <laughs> so nine out of ten. It's nine. almost... It's really good. So it is as good as At Folsom Prison, in your opinion? Yeah. Because that's what we both scored at Folsom Prison. And I, th- I think it is. Okay, fine. Okay. I just wanted to check. I wasn't criticising, I just wanted to check. All right, 9 out of 10. <clears throat> so I'm scoring it high, and you've said much of what I wanted to say. This is a collection of songs by a man who, as I said the other week, and I think I repeated earlier today, has come to terms with his fate, knows that the end is coming, and wants to tell you what he has left to say, whether that is through his own songs or through the songs of others, interpreted differently. Well, let's just take his own songs. You have a reimagining of Give My Love to Rose, which is a song he recorded several times and is powerful every time, none more so than here. You have a new song in The Man Comes Around, which, as Kevin said the other week, is a man preaching from the pulpit of the dangers of sinful life, if you like, but not in a way that comes across as, well, evangelical. It's it's very much not Westboro uh, Baptist Church. Indeed, it is very much not Westboro Baptist Church. Very well said. And then you have a collection of cover versions of some of the most famous and beloved songs ever recorded in my life. The first time ever I saw your face, which I'm not a huge fan of this version, Bridge Over Troubled Water, fucking Will Meet Again, Wichita Line Man. You know, he wasn't afraid of putting his own stamp on things. Then you've got contemporary tracks, Hurt, Personal Jesus, and folk classics like Danny Boy, Sam Hall. It's magnificent, this album. It's magnificent. This is and was my first introduction to the American recordings. Yeah, 9 out of 10. Agreed, 9 out of 10. It is as good as Folsom Prison. I was thinking, debating with myself, 9 out of 10. Wow. 18, tough to beat. It's a tough score, that. Mm, it's me to go. Okay. Ain't no grave. Mm, ain't no grave. This album's tough to listen to. Not because it's bad. I mean, it's not at all. (laughs) As we've been saying for the last, well, whatever it is by now, 80 minutes. But because it is the story from start to finish of a dead man speaking from beyond the grave almost. Well, literally speak from beyond the grave, but you know what I mean. And whilst there are songs on here that in their original guys are unremarkable and i will include you know so for the good times we talked about i don't hurt anymore 
in itself and of itself, I don't think is a great song. Similarly, Can't Help But Wonder Where I'm Bound. But the way they are performed and the way they are gathered together on this album. So we've talked a lot about, not today, but on previous pods about misordering of tracks on an album. I don't think we've ever said before that there is an album which every track is perfectly placed. Well, this is it, Kevin. Ten tracks, everyone in exactly the right place, telling you a story and telling that story in the most gut punch, heart wrenching, heartbreaking, emotional way. It's a man who was grieving, it's a man who knew he was about to die. What do you say beyond that? Fucking hell. Do I like it as much as American 4? Do I like it as much as the man comes around? After everything I've just said, I've got to say no, I don't. And so I'm going to give it eight and a half. Okay. So it's um, pretty difficult to follow that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... So if I if I merely take it on the songs... There's not a bad song on here. This is absolute brilliance from start to finish. It is the story of a man staring at the abyss and saying what he feels about it and what thoughts run through his head. And, you know, as I say, there's not a bad song on it. But I will... It's it's funny because when you were when you were talking to him, like I was thinking about how I was going to score it, and I was thinking to myself, of the two albums, which one, which one would I put on? And as brilliant as Ain't No Grave is, the album that brings me more enjoyment is American Fall. It is. And so I ca- I cannot give it I cannot give eight no grave even though there is absolutely nothing wrong on this album. Personal preference, I am going to come down the same as you. It is it has to be an eight and a half because there are moments on American Four that there's levity or there's there's a, there's a lightness to it. So I, it makes me want to listen to it more. It's not that. Ain't No Grave is bad, absolutely not. The al- the album is absolutely perfect, but it's not an easy listen. No, it isn't. And maybe that's what you bring to it. But without question, as everyone says, you know, so uh, Greg Carter, the Chicago Tribune, says death remains the big subject on this. And, you know, sometimes I want to listen to... Um, the murder ballads. <laughs> Sometimes I want to listen to this, but if I'm given the choice between something that has moments of moments of brightness as, along with the dark, then I'm gonna pick that over a man staring death in the face. But that's not to say that it isn't a absolutely stunning, flooring piece of music. Flooring is right. I think this is genuinely the toughest choice, for me at least, that we've had to make so far. Even beyond something like what's going on versus Inner Visions, this, to me, was the toughest one 
to decide thus far. But there you go. Huh. Well, let's uh, let's try and shake let's, off. Let's, let's have a let's have a little <laughs> shake. Okay. Well, I, so congratulations, Johnny. Well, I mean, Johnny Cash is beating Johnny Cash. You're right. It's it's an album that brings with it moments of levity, moments of portents, moments of just low down, dirty blues, rock, whatever you want to call it, versus an album which is a self-penned eulogy, one might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it comes down to personal preference, but two magnificent pieces of art. Yeah. It, it, whilst obviously it was, my, it was my selection, it is a really good clash. It was a really good clash. Brilliant choice. So, where are we going next? Okay. Uh, um, I have thought long and long and long about this, uh, and it was only earlier today, actually, where I settled on where we were going to go. So I'm gonna. I want to stick with this theme, at least for one more clash of of uh, of, of civil war of of comparing two albums by the same artist, and I'm gonna stick with folk, mm-hmm. and we're gonna cover an artist we are yet to cover on album clash. Although we have mentioned them a number of times, we are yet to act. We've mentioned them during the course of this clash. Actually, we are yet to directly cover any of their music would you like to hazard a guess i'm not quite sure where you're going with this so i'm I'm intrigued okay so we are going with the diminutive paul simon for our next clash lovely stuff an artist that i know you and i both are very fond of okay so in two weeks time so i i actually think this might be the longest gap in, t- in terms of time between two mm-hmm. albums that we've done yet uh, based on the albums I'm picking. So, in two weeks' time, I am going to take us through, from 1972, Paul Simon's first solo album, after Simon and Garfunkel had gone their separate ways, uh, his self-titled album. Then, Kevin, I mean, you know what you're going through. What do you think you're going to be covering thereafter? Would it be um, a place in America? Yes, it would. So, from 1986, obviously, and you're going to win Top Trumps again by a (laughs) distance, you're going to be taking us through Graceland. Lovely stuff. Yeah. I've wanted to do Paul Simon for a while. I'm glad that we're doing Paul Simon because, well, I really enjoy Paul Simon's solo work, so this is going to be a very enjoyable clash. Exactly what you just said. Quite agree. I mean, I picked it, so of course. Uh, so, yeah, so just to remind you, two weeks' time, Paul Simon's eponymously titled album. Four weeks' time, it's Graceland, the one you all know. I mean, listen, I do apologise, listeners. I give you so much discredit there. I'm sure you know much of Paul Simon's oeuvre. So there you go. Hope you're looking forward to that as much as we are. So uh, I think part of the reason Tim may have suggested that that you were not as um, au fait with Paul Simon's uh, solo work is based on when we were both at Glastonbury and Paul Simon played. And we were having a lovely time 
to his solo stuff. Yes. And everyone else, apart from when he played uh, You Can Call Me How, yes. they they were hating every second of it. Everyone wanted to hear the Simon and Garfunkel stuff. Exactly. Uh, we will definitely be talking about that in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> like they, they, did, they, they had no reaction to Kodachrome. I mean, how can nope. you not like be banging to go anyway? That's, that's... Yep, quite so. But there you go. Right. Anyway, so that's what we're doing in a couple of weeks. Uh, before then, though, Kev, Twitter, socials. So as you know, that I always try and find the interesting bits of Twitter that that potentially can emerge, and I've had a couple of things that I could have picked. But I think that this is absolutely pure album clash. So, in 1991, Leningrad Television broadcast a program that has since become infamous. The program's guest, Sergei Karechin, claimed to be a political figure and a scientist. He conducted an elaborate hoax that he presented as a serious historical exploration into the origins of the Bolshevik Revolution. Using visual, textual and scientific evidence, Kurekin argued that the revolution was led by people who had been consuming hallucinogenic mushrooms. <laughs> this gets better. As a result, their personalities were being replaced by mushroom personalities and their leader, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, was simply a mushroom. This fact, according to Kurekin, shed new light on many enigmas of Soviet history. Millions of viewers were at a loss. Were they witnessing a serious programme, a daring prank, a case of unprecedented lunacy? So, yes, there are people in Russia who believe from this programme that Vladimir Ilyich Lenin was a mushroom. (laughs) Okay. That is what I have managed to track down (laughs) on Twitter. Finish the bits. I've got lots to say. So what? How can people keep? It? So whilst on Twitter discovering stuff about Lenin being a mushroom, you could check out our Twitter page at Clash Album. If you like carefully curated quality content that lacks uh, mushroom content, you could go to Clash Album. Or if you want to tell us about um, other political leaders from around the world who may be fungi or maybe legumes, you know. Please tell us at albumclash at gmail.com. Or fun gals, you know, we're not... We, we... <laughs> well, according to Berlusconi, um, <laughs> Angela Merkel very much wasn't. Uh, right, so, so many thoughts swimming through my head. I mean, I'm a bottle of wine deep by now, so... <laughs> right, three things crystallise. This is a genuine thing, by the way. You know what? You haven't made this up. This is an actual thing. This that is happened. an actual thing. So, do you know what I genuinely took this from? So, a university paper abstract <laughs> that I managed to find on Twitter. God knows, like I don't know how I managed to come across that, but I did. Oh fucking hell! Right. So, three three thoughts crystallize. First of all, I now cannot in my mind, divorce the vision of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin uh, from that of Toad from Mario. So (laughs) that is who Lenin is forever. I've had that in my head. (laughs) That is who forever now Lenin is Toad. Please. So again, 
the email address albumclash at gmail.com. If you have any Photoshop skills, please send us a photo of Toad superimposed into any of the classic <laughs> Lenin speaking to the people poses. Yes, please do. Please. Uh, so what does that mean that Big Joe is then? This is it's Donkey Kong, surely. <laughs> Bowser. Absolute oh yeah, Bowser. he's pure Bowser. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Right, okay. So that's the first one. Secondly, it's good to know that other countries have their David Ikes. <laughs> it's not just us. <laughs> well, yeah, like the royal family of lizards. <laughs> it was a mushroom. And thirdly, I'm sure. What did you say the guy's name was? Kiriekin. Uh, I'm sure that's the name of the man from Uncle. <laughs> Do you know what? It's not. <laughs> Ilya Kiriekin. <laughs> there you go then. So it's it's a CIA it's plot. All coming together. It's, it's a all CIA together. plot. I can see it now. <laughs> Kevin, you have outdone yourself. I, I I'm even tempted to. Stop doing this segment of the show because I don't think you're ever going to beat it. I do not think you're ever going to beat it. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if I am ever going to find anything as weird as that. Magnificent. But I will continue my uh, travails on the internet. How? How? How did you find that? How? God knows. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I actually don't know. What were your search parameters? I need to know. <laughs> Probably best. Probably best not to. <laughs> right okay so it's very late and i desperately need to urinate and that is definitely staying in the pod <laughs> um <laughs> thank you very very much for listening guys we really do appreciate it as we have said repeatedly please do uh subscribe on whatever platform you listen to if your platform allows you to leave reviews please give us the highest rating possible please tell all your mates how great we are Share it, all that stuff. Keep in touch on the socials, as we've said. All that is left for me to say, then, is I am Tim, and there ain't no grave can hold my body down. And I am Kev, and I am most definitely a revolutionary mushroom. (laughs) Can confirm. (laughs) And we'll see you in a couple of weeks, guys. Take care. Okay, till then. Bye.